This Noble podcast is powered by Cooper Parry, the rebels of accountancy. From audit, tax and R&D, to wealth management, corporate finance and tech and high growth, we smash the humdrum to smithereens. Our purpose is to simply disrupt, lead and make life count. And along the way, we help like-minded entrepreneurial businesses to thrive across the UK. Now let's get back to the infotainment. Enjoy. Welcome to Cooper Parry's No Bull All Fat Podcast, and today we're discussing the truth about investment costs. By the end of this interview, uh, you will know how to maximise your investments and what questions you should be asking uh, your investment advisor. Today's No Bull expert is Cooper Parry Wells CEO Stephen Jones. Now, there's no way I can do this interview justice on my own. I need a podcast partner to help me navigate my way through, and I've got just the man. Today, my co-host is Ian Townsend. I've been lucky enough to work with Ian on a few events now, and his expertise and experience is welcome today. Ian is the Chuck Norris of the financial world and is fighting the good fight against poor financial advice. For those of you under the age of 40, you'll need to Google Chuck Norris. Ian, uh, please tell the world uh, who you are. Uh, yes, yeah, so um, I've come from a financial planning background, joined Cooper Parry uh, three years ago. Um, now I largely work with prospective clients, helping them to really understand how to make sound financial decisions. Um, we're, we're surrounded by investors who have lots of money built up uh, over time, often through their hard work. Uh, they're making business critical decisions on a day-to-day basis, but really struggle to make uh, investment decisions, sound financial decisions. and attempt to engage with our industry, but often find it's you know, pretty impenetrable. Uh, they don't know the right questions to ask. Um, and the result really is decision paralysis. They often don't do anything at all. So what I try and do is speak to uh, prospective clients, prospective investors, and help them to understand the evidence, understand the research, not just our opinion, um, and actually help them to progress to making some sensible investment decisions. That sounds fantastic. And I like what you're saying about uh, paralysis, decision paralysis, because there is a lot of financial advice out there and, and what's right and what's not. So um, this is why today is going to be so important. Let's meet Stephen Jones. So uh, Stephen, please introduce yourself to the listeners uh, and tell them why you're the person to tell us the truth about investment costs. Yeah, hi. Um, so uh, I'm a partner at Cooper Parry. But my day job, I'm very proud to say, is uh, to be CEO of Cooper Parry Wealth, in my view, the best wealth management and financial planning firm in the UK. Um, investment costs is something that we're really passionate about. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to lifting the lid on that subject with you. So um, let, let's just go for a little bit of the backstory first and mm-hmm. kind of set the scene. When did you join Cooper Parry Wealth or start Cooper Parry Wealth and what did the business look like at that point? Yeah, sure. We've had a financial services business of some sort for over 20 years. Um, I joined in 2005 and I don't mind admitting, for, for a number of years it was probably like any other financial services businesses in the UK. Um, 2009-10 after the financial crisis um, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for us, actually, because it, it, it was then that we realised, in our view, the traditional wealth management model is broken and that we had a very clear, distinct opportunity 
to rip up what we were doing and build something entirely different. And that's what we did. What, what was it that um, you saw that was broken or, or, or how did you how did you even see that that was that was an opportunity or yeah the, I mean there's various levels to that uh, and without going through every level of detail the, the, the main thing was and probably still is with a lot of wealth management firms they serve themselves yeah. the wealth management industry is designed to um, look after itself to sell unnecessary expensive products to customers who don't necessarily need them or don't necessarily achieve what they want them to achieve. So our light bulb moment really was to discover that and to turn that model on its head and to put the client at the top of that pyramid and that financial products really are just a byproduct to helping clients achieve what they want to achieve in life. Yeah. And really we just, we just turn the business on its head, we reshape things um, we rebuilt the proposition importantly which we'll talk about in a, in a moment when it comes to investment approach and philosophy we found a better way which is goes against what the industry tells you to do uh, and we've been hugely successful ever since uh, uh, since 2010 you know we've grown exponentially we've um, won lots of very happy clients and you know made their lives better um, won awards along the way and created a really great business that I'm very proud of. Yeah. And were there, were there other firms or key people that you kind of lent on to help rebuild that or was it something that was kind of very much driven internally by you and other people? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not sure how many new and unique ideas there are in the world, but you know, it, it's fair to say uh, we were able to look to one or two boutique firms in the UK who were doing things particularly well. It was, it was the larger institutions that weren't. But predominantly looking overseas as well. You know, we travelled a fair bit. We, you know, we went to the states a number of times, and certainly firms in Australia who who have been doing it in this more modern way for some time. And we've taken inspiration from some of the leading firms around the world. Give us an idea as to what you were looking at at that point, and and, and why it was kind of so compelling for you from a, a business standpoint and a client standpoint. Well, it's, it's something we talked a lot about Cooper Perry at the time. Was that if we're going to do something, we want to be the the very best at it so uh, we weren't going to play at anything and certainly at the, the point you know our financial services business wasn't anywhere near the best in you know the world the UK <laughs> or even in a you know, much smaller geographical area so we you know we needed to look to what the very best firms in the world were doing but and, and again it comes down to something very simple it's like you know let's not sell mass-produced expensive financial products to clients for commissions let's put the client at the heart of everything of their world and create bespoke solutions for them yeah okay um so uh, maybe it's worth us sort of diving in a little bit then to to kind of a few more of the specifics of kind of what what we do what some of the issues are um i guess why people are listening today right we're talking about investment costs so um can you can you just give us a kind of initial breakdown of like what, what investment costs mean uh, what, what sort of things are we talking about? Yeah, it's pr probably worth talking about who this in affects as well. So uh, by investment costs, this can be anything from, you know, ICEs and funds that you might, you know, invest in on a, on a you know, regular or irregular basis, y your pension fund, um, it could be your workplace pension fund, it could be a big private pension fund you have, 
you know, for wealthy individuals, this is, a, this is often a big stockbroker or wealth manager type portfolio. So when we talk about investment costs, it's kind of all of those things, really. Yeah, because actually I talk to people all the time who wouldn't consider themselves investors, right? No. But they've got but significant pensions often. Yeah, or, or they might have you know, some money invested in ISAs or, 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 or something else. So, yeah. yeah all, all of those things uh, are the subject of what we're talking about here with investment costs. Okay, so... Um, what are the specifics around investment costs that we we sort of what's the problem here? I mean, we're talking about fund managers, kind of specifically investment funds. Yeah. So, good point. So, I think most people accept that if you buy an investment or sold an investment, whichever way you look at it, there will be some fees or costs involved. Yeah. Um, they're pretty difficult to understand for most people, but let's simplify it. They tend to be at three levels. So you might pay advice costs to an advisor. You might not, you might do it yourself, but typically there's advice costs. Secondly, there will be uh, platform costs. So you would typically buy your funds on a some sort of technology platform that allows you to buy them and, and deal in them. But the third area really, and, and, and the area that we're focused on and talking about is the costs of the funds themselves. Okay, so this is um, so. So I've got a pension. Yeah, I've chosen, or with the help of an advisor, I've chosen a sort of range of funds to yeah. invest, which gives me some diversity or exposure to different areas, whatever. Yeah. We're talking about okay. Those funds are managed by individuals. They have you've got a platform cost. You've got the pay the fund manager cost, and then there's other costs associated with them running that investment fund. Yeah, it, it, it's those fund management costs. So. Uh, they've been called different things over the years. They used to be called an annual management charge. For a while, they were called a total expense ratio. And we're getting into the detail because total, it, my point is, it wasn't the total. Uh, and then more recently, they'd be called the OCF, okay. uh, the ongoing fund charge. And, and that's so the view, and look, I get this all the time when I'm talking to people, the view is that. Uh, you get told what the OCF is, you get this sort of headline charge. Yeah. So I've got my portfolio and I'm thinking, right, it's one and a half percent. Yeah. That's what I'm paying, that's what it says on the statement. Right? Well you think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> so if you see something advertised at one and a half percent, you would think that's the cost. Yeah. And and the point of this, and we've 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 done some research on this, we've got a, a research paper we've done which we can share with people, is that that isn't the full picture. There are hidden costs um, and legislation changed in 2018 to say these hidden costs should be disclosed the reality is that hasn't happened yeah so we're we're, what two years past when that came into force yeah okay so what what, what are we seeing seeing much change let's not call them hidden let's call them hard (laughs) to find costs but there is another layer of cost that exists in these funds that should be disclosed, but most often isn't readily done so or isn't easy easy to find. Yeah. So to give you an indication, so if you buy a fund, whether it's in your pension fund or your ISA, I mean, there's different types of funds, but if you're buying a, an equity fund, a fund that buys stocks and shares, the fund manager will be uh, charged with trying to grow that fund and beat everybody else by buying and selling shares. So he'll be looking at which companies he thinks are doing better and buying those and selling the worst performing ones. So 
you would think the charge disclosed includes all the costs of doing so, but it doesn't. It doesn't include the costs of dealing in shares within those funds. Um, and obviously, the more active dealing in shares that goes on within a fund, the higher the cost will be. Yeah, right. So I'm, I guess I'm slightly playing dumb here because I'm, I know what the answers are a little bit, but yeah. um, I'm... I'm an investor. I'm looking at you know one of the big platforms like a, you know Harvey's Lansdowne or an AJ Bell or something like that, and you know I'm getting their marketing material. I'm getting all the latest fund updates. There's some uh, some incredible performance. You know, like how do I how do I get to the point of a level of understanding that I can make any sort of decision around that? Well, it's difficult. It it really is difficult to. Um... I mean, even as seasoned professionals finding out these numbers. Uh, so this is this is the point of you know writing this paper and making people aware of this kind of thing. Uh, but to give you an example, we did some research on one of these uh, platforms, looking at five of the largest UK funds, UK equity funds, buying and sh selling of shares within this fund, and the headline price of these funds was somewhere between one and two percent but there was an additional one or two percent in in hidden dealing costs if you like for the cost of running those, running those funds so you, you you see something that's one percent but really it's two percent you see something that's one and a half percent but it's really three and a half percent yep so okay so let, let, let's look at this a slightly different way then i suppose if that is the case so I'm thinking uh, I'm paying whatever it is, 1.5% a year. Actually, it might be 2.5%, but my portfolio has gone up year on year. Performance has been good. I'm pretty happy with it. Am I that bothered? Does it matter? Possibly not. If you're happy with the performance <laughs> and it's done okay. But I think this is really about making people aware of these costs and that these costs exist is the first point. The second point is that these costs truly matter. So another way to look at this is, I mean, when you're talking 1%, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like a big number, does it? You know, if it's 1%, but really it's an additional 1%, it's 2%, it might not matter. But it's these costs are coming out of your portfolio and then they're compounded over a long period of time. So if you take 100,000 pounds invested over a 30 year period, a 1% difference in costs actually adds up to a further £100,000 not in your pocket at the end. Yeah. That's so, a that, lot, right? so that's the point. 1% of 100000 isn't a lot of money, but compounded over 30 years is another £100,000. Yeah. So these small differences in costs compounded add up to a huge amount of money. Yeah. You make that number bigger than 100000 make that a million pounds, and you... No, it's saying it's another yeah which is you know quite typical of, of some of our clients actually you know and the, I think the other thing about that example which is interesting and, and again you know conversations I have very often are around well you know I might be uh, uh, 45 50 years old I'm hoping to retire at 60 actually it's only over 10 years you know mm. probably probably I'm not going to see the difference you're talking about but actually it's well, what happens after that? You're going to be relying on that portfolio for a number of years beyond that. If it's a pension, that might be multi-generational wealth. Mm -hmm. So actually, your time horizon for the money is 30 years. It is 40 years. And actually, over that time period, it makes a massive difference. Totally. 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. So we, we know that there are a hidden or we're potentially calling them hard to find costs nowadays. Uh, we, we know that costs matter. So where do we go from here? So people have got to find them out first. Yeah. How do they do that? I suppose is, is, is the first question. Um, how, you know, if I'm, I'm a busy business owner, um, I've got my portfolio, it's doing okay, okay, I understand that there are some hidden costs, I understand that probably they matter, I should probably do something about it. What do you actually do? What are the, what are the next steps? Well, like I said, it's, it's hard to find these numbers and that's sometimes where it's best to seek the views of a professional who really cares about this sort of thing. Uh, and of course, we, we can help with that. Um, probably what we see is sadly a bit of a view from some people that but does it really matter because we, we're kind of trained in many areas of life to think that you know you get what you pay for mm. so you pay more for a product you get a better product or a better service so you know look at Steve with his you know fancy clothes you know that you spend more <laughs> on a a designer Italian suit, you get a better product, don't you? I'm with you. I mean, I I spend I invest my money a lot, but it's mostly on motorbikes, cars, <laughs> and that's where my money goes. And I I think the more I invest in my motorbike, the better performance I'm going to get out of my motorbike. And I'm assuming that's the same for investments. Well, it, it's true in nearly every area of life, isn't it? The more you spend on, on clothes, cars, motorbikes, TVs, the better product, generally. Yes. In investing, the opposite is true. Oh. Oh, that's... <laughs> um, okay, well, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> the, the opposite is true partly because these fees are coming out of your money and they're being compounded over 20, 30, 40 years. Obviously, the example we gave before, there is also a huge amount of evidence and research that's put out every year, which we share in the paper, that proves that the more expensive funds perform worse over the longer periods and the lower cost funds perform better. So you don't get what you pay for when it comes to investing. Well, if, if the evidence is out there, why, why are we not seeing it? What's, what's happening? <laughs> because the fund management industry serves itself first, which is where we started. I think, I think that's a really interesting question, though, because... Um, the evidence does exist, right? The research is there. And, and it's what you'd assume, right? There's, there's so many people investing money. Yeah. You'd think that there would be like a broad consensus on the best way to do that. That's yeah. typically how these things work, right? Yeah. Yet, I mean, we know that there are a relatively few number of people in the UK who invest money in the way that we do for our yeah. clients. Uh, and conversely, that means there's a huge number of wealth managers, IFAs, you know, stockbrokers, whoever else out there who are continuing to do things in a way that, in essence, you could prove don't work. So why do, why do, like, why do we think that is? Why does that still exist? Well, there will, there will be winners. There, there will be some expensive funds that will do well. Mm. The problem is they are in the minority and the problem, the difficulty is spotting who they are in advance. It's very easy to look back over the last 30 years and say, well, that expensive fund did well and outperformed, but it's a small percentage of a large number of funds. So it's actually having that rear view mirror and being able to see which the winners are going to be in advance. We, we, we can't do that. So, okay. So potentially contentious question. Mm -hmm. How many people do we think are out there who are advising clients on their investments 
who know this evidence exists, maybe understand the research, understand the problems, but maybe don't have the solution or choose to do something else? And how many do we think are still out there, these kind of good old investment managers who genuinely still believe they're going to invest their clients' money and beat the market, they've got something that no one else has, they're better than all these PhD grads, all the algorithms. What, 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 what's the balance here? <laughs> well, I think, um, without getting into the technicalities of different investment approaches, more expensive funds tend to be what we would call active management, where there is a fund manager buying and selling and trying to beat the market. Lower cost funds tend to be evidence-based index trackers, and therefore lower cost. Um, latest numbers, I'm not sure, but you know historically the market has been sort of 90, 10, you know, active, passive. It, it, it's it's reducing because as this evidence comes to light and more and more people are aware of it. Um, lower cost funds are definitely becoming more popular, but it's still in the minority. Um, there was it reminds me of a story from a few years ago you know, there, was, there was a piece of research that we'd seen in one of the Sunday financial papers and it was around um, the vast majority of professional fund managers don't invest in their own funds and it was just like some crazy statistic, a very very high proportion I forget what the figure was and incidentally at Cooper Parry all of the team, all of our partners invest in our portfolios alongside our clients and that's really important to say my money's invested alongside our clients. I think uh, I've heard a, a story before. I think you've told us a story um, once before about um, um, was there some sort of big cheese at an event yeah, going on? Exactly that. I was at a, a black tie dinner. We were up, we were up for an award that we won, and I was on a table hosted by one of these big institutional fund managers, and I got sat next to the head of the UK equity fund for this you know big institution. I, and I, I won't say who. So we ended up having this sort of little bit of banter around different investment approaches active passive high cost low cost and um and clearly she was supporting this active high cost approach because that's what she did for a living so uh i asked her later in the conversation because i've just read this stuff so so guys do you invest in your own fund and she smiled and she said yeah i do a, a bit <laughs> okay, well, a bit. That's obviously more than most. So, okay, well, that's that's good to hear that you know you back your own money. Something sort of I said. Incidentally, what do you do with the, the rest of your money? Not not your bit. She says, "Oh, I use low cost index trackers, the same as Cooper Parry use." I'm like, "Oh well, there you go." It's the same yeah. as the Warren Buffett story, isn't it? I think it's right in his will. Uh, they're instructed to invest his money for his wife and children. Uh, in low-cost low passive cost, funds, he's yeah. probably what, one of the most famous active yeah. investors yeah. in the world. But he, he he also understands that that's not yeah. replicable. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it does. So look, um, there's something we, we talked about earlier, uh, which I wanted to just pick up on uh, and look in a little bit more detail if we could. So um, we're talking about uh, why costs matter and a balance of, I guess, like the return. The clients keeping versus what you're paying in costs. Mm-hmm. So something that I kind of use quite a lot, I think, when I'm talking to people, is looking at a kind of headline return mm. and then start to kind of, you know, see it, how that's chipped away at mm. and kind of ultimately what you end up at. Good, that's a good point, Ian. What we're what you're talking about here is some numbers we often show in our reports, which show that if you look over the very long term, 
the average return of, of UK equities is something like 6.5%. So that sounds good. You know, you've got 6.5% return. But then what you need to remember is you've, you've got inflation at around about getting on for 3% over the long term. So you're only left with about 3.5% of real returns over the long term. Okay. So you think, well, okay, that's, that's money in my pocket. But then you remember that the fund manager isn't charging you 1%, he's charging you 2% that's got to come off that return. So you're left with 1.5% of your 6.5% in your pocket. Yeah? But the important thing there, if you remember, is the fund manager's taken 2 you're left with 1.5%. You're going to have to tell the yacht story. So there you go. Yeah. So, so what, what Ian's referring to is a is, is a book written in the um, in the 1940s, a very famous investment book called "Where Are the Customers' Yachts," and it, it, it's based on a you know a story where a guy was visiting the financial district of New York, and he's you know in, in the harbour all these incredible boats, and somebody points out to him, yeah, those. Uh, those boats belong to all the brokers and the bankers in the city on Wall Street, and the, the response was, well, "Where are all the customers' yachts?" And, and those, those numbers kind of prove that. Exactly. I mean, it's just blowing my mind. So, you know, is the you're getting one and a half percent back over a long-term investment, but your broker is getting two percent. That doesn't yeah. that doesn't make any sense. No, should, shouldn't do, should it? No. <laughs> So again, that, so that's what we're all about here. That's that's about leaving a bigger share in our clients' pockets. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. So look, um, let's just try and, if we can, help some of the people listening, help some of the people who will hopefully go on to, to kind of pick up the report that we've done and move towards kind of what, what's the answer here. So what are the alternatives? We talked a little bit about active and passive, which... A large proportion of people listening will probably understand, but some might not. Um, what, what ultimately is the best solution? How do you sort of maximise your investment? Um, I guess what we're trying to do here is furnish people with the truth so that they can at least ask the right questions of the right people, um, whether it's a do-it-yourself approach or they seek advice. I mean, as we, as we said earlier on, it, some of this stuff is really hard even for a professional to figure out what the true costs are. Um, you know, there's a competitor website that we've looked at that actually if you dig deep enough into the website discloses some of this stuff as a, like additional costs but then it says these aren't really costs <laughs> yeah, that isn't really in the spirit of the legislation that came out to use language like that so um, you know, I genuinely believe this is something that you need a subjective third party view on you need, you need to seek advice now um, we've run a series of webinars that you guys have hosted which is the six steps to financial failure and really what that is is a tongue-in-cheek reverse of our six uh, steps to successful investing now cost is just one of those so in the t- you know the time allowed here we haven't got time to go into the other five but you know we'd happily share that information with people they can jump on the webinar the, the date of the next one i'm sure we could we can share with people um but you know i think it's a case of seeking advice and making sure you've at least got a full understanding of the costs you're currently paying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the conversations I enjoy with prospective clients. It's, uh, dare I say, been in previous jobs where what you're telling them is opinion or mm. what that business believes in. And actually, what's nice about what I do here is it isn't our opinion. It's facts, it's evidence, it's research, and it's just helping people to understand that 
and come to a, a sensible decision. Well, you're right. And another one of those phrases we use a lot is everybody thinks they're an above average driver, husband, whatever it might be. <laughs> and everybody thinks they're an above average investor. Mm. And we can't all be, can we? So it, it's, a, it's about looking at what the evidence and the science tells us around investment structure and following that. Which is difficult in, in our business. I mean, there's so much noise. Mm. It can be really hard to find find the truth. Yeah. It's, well, hopefully we, uh, we're, we're doing some extent of helping people to do that t- today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been, been really interesting. I know you guys are you know quite humble and, and not really salesy, and, uh, and that's not the point of this, but a couple of times I've heard you refer to um, a paper that you've written. Now, is that is that important? Is that relevant? Is that for everybody? Yeah, so um, it's, um, it's something we've been working on for, for a little while now. Um, again, based on a lot of the conversations that we have with prospective clients, prospective investors, helping people to just understand the research and the evidence out there. So that is available. It's available on our website. It's available uh, if anyone wants to just contact us. But yeah, loads of really kind of useful information in there. So what would sure. I get out of the paper? If I just a brief summary of the paper, what what would I get as a regular investor? Exactly that. I think you know it's just a, a real understanding of uh, the the fact that there are hidden or hard to find costs, uh, the fact that costs do matter and that they do have a, a serious impact uh, on your investments over the long term, and then ultimately what what your options are, right? What what your choice is. You know, you, you're not stuck between a rock and a hard place with this stuff. There is uh, a way of doing things which will give you a, a, a much greater chance of having a successful investment experience. This sounds awesome. I've made lots of notes here. The notes I've made is stop investing in motorbikes. <laughs> um, do something where I can make more money to invest long term. And actually, I think I need to become an, uh, an advisor because then I can make 2% on everybody else's investments. So... Um, but Stephen, I've really, really enjoyed uh, listening to you today. I think we are going to put um, the cat amongst the pigeons in a lot of things. I think a lot, of, and I think that's exactly what we should be doing. As with all of our podcasts, at the very end, we like to ask our guests to give us a thirty-second elevator pitch or a lift pitch because we're in the UK. Please tell us in thirty seconds why Cooper Parry Wealth. Three things, really. So, why Cooper Parry Wealth? Number one. Um, we focus on the client. We focus on the client's bigger picture, what's really important to them, their values, their fears, their family, all of that is hugely more important than investments, which are actually pretty boring. Yeah. Number two, Cooper Parry have an integrated approach to wealth management. So of course, as part of a bigger firm, you've got access to all our other experts around the business, tax experts and so on. So that's really, really important area of what we do. And the third area is, Everything we do with our clients' money, we do ourselves, and it's backed up by science and evidence. How about that? Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. <laughs> so thank you, both of you. Ian, I couldn't have done this on my own. It's great having you as a co-host because there's no way I would have asked those questions as well as you, which is actually awesome. And Stephen Jones, thank you for taking uh, the time from your busy, busy life okay, to uh, give us this time today. So that's a wrap. Um, visit Cooper Perry Wealth's website for information on upcoming webinars and download the paper we've been talking about. Um, or just click on the show, uh, show notes on the podcast. Uh, so thank you, Ian. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Uh, this has been really informative. Thank you very much. Thank you.